Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Well, this is the sixth and the final message in our series on the Holy Spirit. For me, it's been really refreshing to hear the different sermons and just to remind myself of the work of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, Scripture does tell us to remind ourselves. I like to say we leak, and so we need to remind ourselves. Second Peter says, I will always remind you, even though you know. <laughs> so, so many times, like, well, I've heard that before. Well, you remind yourself, and, and it says, you know, and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. So let's be reminded this morning as I end this series, um, and let's pray, and then let's dive into the text that we have for this morning. Father, Holy Spirit, we ask that um, divine revelation would be infused in us this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I just ask that your presence would be here in a mighty way, and that uh, our hearts would be open to, to grow and to learn and to be empowered to live this life for you with everything that we have, Lord, not just a percentage, but Lord, giving you everything. That's so hard to do, uh, but it's through your, only through your Holy Spirit that we can do that. So we just uh, commit the rest of this service to you, for it's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, today's text is when the Holy Spirit um, comes during the celebration of Pentecost. Every three years, the Jews gathered for three major feasts. And so it's been, at this point, it's been 50 days since Passover, and now it's the Feast of Pentecost. And in the Feast of Pentecost, they're, they're celebrating the giving of the law of Moses on the mountain. So they're under the law, right? And uh, so it, they've been under the law a long time, about 1,415 years. Can you imagine that, being under the law, all the blood sacrifice, everything that they had to do? And so now it's been that amount of time. But now it's a new day. It's a new day because Jesus has risen. He's defeated death. And God said this, I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. So this, so this is a new day, and, and they find out that it's about the heart. Romans 8.3 says that, for God has done what the law could not do. Hebrews 10 says, it's a shadow, or the law is a shadow of good things to come. The good thing that was coming was the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. So the 11 disciples, they're all gathered together. Jesus appears to them, and they're very startled when Jesus comes in. And he tells them, I am sending the promise of my Father. I'm sending that promise upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus knows he's leaving. And he knows that they're going to need a power to live. So Jesus, he led them out of the city, he blessed them, and he was carried to heaven. And until his return, God provides the Holy Spirit for everything that we need to live in victory. We want to live lives of victory. And the Holy Spirit brings so many different things to our life. He brings comfort. The Holy Spirit brings power and wisdom and knowledge and understanding and counsel. He brings courage in adversity. The Holy Spirit actually brings the fear of the Lord. He's our guide. He's our uniter. He's our intercessor. He's our refiner. And I like to say, He's that still small voice. It's still a small voice in our life. So I'm going to read the text this morning. 
and it comes out of Acts 2, 1 through 13, and it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not these all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us speaking in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and all parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those are Gentiles that are, Gentiles that are now believers, Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. Uh, this passage is the giving of power to the disciples, and again, it's the day of uh, Pentecost, and uh, it's been my experience that the baptism or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit has been a source of great comfort to so many believers and encouragement. I know it is to me, just for having power and, and direction to many. But I'd also be lying if I didn't say that it's also been a source of great controversy. And, and a source of great misunderstanding, a source of misrepresentation and even division, especially as it relates to the gift of tongues. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a step in a believer's life simply asking God to empower you, not too scary. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because I want to operate and I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to operate in victory in this life. And in that empowerment, we, we live and we operate in actually displaying many spiritual gifts. For instance, let me talk about the gift of faith. Um, it provides a believer an extraordinary confidence, if I could put a definition on it, an extraordinary confidence of God's promises and power, the gift of faith. Uh, examples of people that uh, operated in the gift of faith is actually listed in Hebrews 11. Um, Noah, think about Noah. He spent 120 years to build a huge boat, and up to that time there had never been rain. It was the Holy Spirit on him, I believe, in order to, to do that. That Holy Spirit, that act of faith. Abraham, think about him, uh, that he'd father a child and his wife did not have the natural ability to do that. It had ended. So there, there we see the, this gift of faith being on them. And those are Old Testament examples um, given to people. And uh, David even said, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So we see that even in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit came on them to do incredible things. In Christ, Scripture says that God has poured out His Spirit on all flesh. That's in Acts 2.17. It says in John 14 that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, young men see visions in, in, in John there. In that uh, outpouring, we also see one of those gifts operating, and it's the gift of tongues. Now, as we're going to see in a few moments when I get into it, there's a lot of gifts when you talk about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, there's nine gifts, actually. And, um, but I'm 
I'm specifically zeroing in on this because, again, it's a, a lot of controversy in it. And don't you know that we like to come to a good understanding whenever there's uh, something that a lot of people don't truly understand. I'd like to say about the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, is that it is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's real important to understand. You know, in the charismatic movement, um, it kind of evolved. And it was like, do you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Basically saying that you don't really have the baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you operate in this, this particular way. And um, it's, it's not really like that. Um, you know, it's a gift that we desire, it's a gift that we want, but it is not the evidence, it's, it's an evidence, and I believe it's an important evidence, okay? Um, people get very uh, passionate for it or against it, and even here, if you think about it, in Acts 2, which I just read, the crowds are wondering what in the world's going on. All these Galileans, they're speaking in other tongues that they had never learned. And also, the crowds were amazed and astonished because... Galileans weren't known for their brains, okay? Galileans were known as hardworking fishermen, of not being very educated people, not the sharpest knife in the door, maybe you could say that. First John 1, Jesus, he's choosing the disciples, if you remember this, this story. And Philip said, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, Son of Joseph from Nazareth. And remember what Nathaniel said? He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? From Galilee. So it had this, now here's all these Galileans speaking this language. So the crowds were astonished to hear uh, fluently speaking in other languages. And some responded by mocking. Don't worry, they said, they're just inebriated. Just ignore them. Uh, the crowd didn't take any effort to really figure out what was going on. Of course, 3,000 uh, ended up getting saved, but a large majority of the crowd, they didn't really probably try to investigate and see what's going on. And some people are like that. They're like, I don't really know and I don't really care. Um, I was raised in a non-denominational church that believed in the gifts. In my teen years, I attended a, a charismatic Methodist church. And uh, it was a great pastor. It was a uh, wonderful church. But that being said, I experienced a lot of things. I, um, I, I experienced some error, but not a lot. I mean, you know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was an operation as far as tongues were concerned. But um, a lot of times it, it got weird. And so uh, it was very, uh, very interesting. I knew that if I invited someone that they would probably feel uncomfortable. But um, there was a sense. There was a sense of order. Uh, I remember in Bible college, uh, actually, when I was here in Pensacola, I visited a Pentecostal church, and there was there was a concert that I wanted to to attend. And what I experienced, I'm like, uh, what what's that? And so I I came to the conclusion at that point. I thought, well, maybe I'm not as charismatic as I thought, because this particular church uh, it was pretty out there. So, um, but what I've also learned, what maturity doesn't do is maturity doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like maturity learns and it grows. Maturity doesn't take error and it doesn't take human emotion and disregard the supernatural. So today what I want to do, if I can make you feel any better, is I want just to have a simple old-fashioned Bible study. That's what we're going to do. The authority of God's word needs to be the starting place and the ending place on our theology and what we do and how we feel and believe. It's very, very important. So hopefully I can clear some things up, maybe uh, a few thoughts that you hadn't thought of before and move the ball forward in your life, if I can say it that way. There's a pastor that I follow uh, that relates a story of his friend. He's now a pastor and uh, his name was Damian Kyle in Modesta, California. And Damien shared his story relating to um, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. 
And he grew up in a very extremely dysfunctional home, but his family went to church from time to time. I guess they realized in their dysfunction that it was really needed. So the church that they went to, they really, really loved his family. In fact, he said, if I ever stop and think of what truly godly love looks like, I'm going to remember that church. uh, They surrounded that family. But the beliefs of the church concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit was that the gifts had ceased to function. Um, When the apostles died, uh, they were no longer functional or useful. Therefore, no longer necessary in the church. We call that theology cessationism. The spiritual gifts, they ceased with the apostolic age of the church. And many churches still hold to that belief. And maybe you've even been in a church like that, that either ignored the gifts of the Spirit, or they didn't talk about them. Um, and if it did come up, maybe, maybe you know, in a, in a reading of Scripture, they were told that it was no longer necessarily necessary or available for today. In this pastor's case, the church actually went a step further, and they said that if There ever was a manifestation of gifts, this is how he was brought up, for example, the gift of tongues, it would be one of two things. It would be either a work of the flesh, they were working it up, or um, it would be a manifestation of a demonic spirit, none none of it having biblical warrant, none of it. It was just taught. But the fact was that this church loved his family even in their dysfunction. And it led to a validity in his mind um, that what they taught was so good that they would never lead me astray. So it was very deep. It was very deep. Fast forward, he grew up. He wanted his own personal walk with the Lord, so he better go to church again. He found a church. He sat close to the door just in case it got weird. He could run away. He could make a quick exit. And, uh, but Damien, who was actually comforted by the fact that the place wasn't weird. Uh, He never felt uncomfortable. And uh, he was learning a lot of things from Scripture. And he kept attending Sundays and Wednesdays. This was part of the church. You know, this is a great church. Pastor expounding on the Word. So as the weeks passed, uh, you know, passed, the pastor was expounding on a certain Scripture, and he made a a passing comment about the gifts of the Spirit. Weeks, uh, and... uh, He was uh, shocked beyond reason. A pastor that he respected as a Bible teacher, believing in the gifts of the Spirit and the fact that they were actually for today. He said that in all of his years of learning as a child, uh, the gifts weren't for today, and it just kept going through his mind. He physically reacted, though he had been there for weeks. His first inclination was to jump up and run, but he felt like... um, um, but he, he didn't want to do that. In a sense, he kind of felt like he had been duped. Okay, so this is one of those churches. Um, but being a man of integrity, he stuck through the service and he faced a huge dilemma. Someone was wrong. His childhood church or this respected Bible teacher, so he set out to investigate. He went to a local Christian bookstore and got every book he could find, pro, con, you know, for it, against it, did it function today. He desperately wanted to know. The close of the story is, as he ended up becoming a pastor, believing in the gifts and the evidence to him was very clear. He desperately wanted this pastor to be totally wrong. So what does the Bible say? Uh, Do my feelings square up with the Word of God? And so what I want to do is I want to approach this subject by advancing five questions to you. Number one, we'll throw it up here on the screen, is... Is the gift of tongues biblical? Two, is the gift of tongues for today? Three, why is there so much controversy surrounding this gift? Number four, what is the gift of tongues? And number five, how does someone receive this gift? So let's go with number one, is the gift of tongues biblical? So even if people believe that a gift of the Holy Spirit is not for today, they have to admit that it's found in the Bible I actually just read Acts 2. Um, A couple of weeks ago, uh, during uh, my transition time, 
I read the entire chapter of Acts 10. Uh, and uh, I talked about Cornelius the centurion. He had a vision, uh, and an angel told him, send men to Joppa and bring back Peter. Now, Peter's close by in another, in another village. And meanwhile, Peter has a dream, and um, the dream is about that the gospel is for the Gentiles. So Peter agrees to meet with Cornelius, and when he goes to meet Cornelius, there's a house full of people. There's a house full of hungry, hungry people. And so Peter tells them that everyone who believes receives the gift, receives forgiveness of sin. Well, that's exciting. And it reads like this in Acts 10, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers uh, from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's uh, Acts 10. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Paul writes, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Acts 19, 1 through 6. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the interior and he came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became a believer? They're believers. No, they answered. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, into what then were you baptized, Paul asked. The baptism of John, they replied. Paul exclaimed, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in one who was coming after him, and that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were, all, there were about 12 men in all. Pretty incredible. The last scripture I'll read is Acts 8. It says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, and on their arrival, they prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John, he laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So at least we can come this far. At least we can admit that spiritual gifts are in the Bible. Regardless of what you think, maybe the perpetuity of it or the present-day activity, it's in the Bible. The believers experienced, Paul spoke in tongues, and Paul told the churches in the early days, don't forbid it. So we know that it's in the gospel. The second question is, is it for today? There's a biblical passage that's often elevated to somehow disprove that they've ceased. Let me explain that to you. Because the Bible does say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit will cease. It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, Paul writes, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully 
even as I have been fully known. And, um, you know, that's why the love chapter is there. When this is, um, uh, this is followed up, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, this is the love chapter I'm reading from, and right before that, in chapter 12, there is a, um, they're having issues, or the Corinth church is having issues in this whole thing of tongues and interpretation, and, and so Paul goes to this. And uh, this is often, again, quoted as a proof text for cessationists, and, uh, but Paul certainly does say that it's going to cease. So the question is, well, when will it cease? And verse 10, it, it tells us, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So what do we need to do? We need to interpret when what the perfect means. Now, some people say that it's the completion of the biblical canon. In other words, the writing of the Bible. Now, when we got the word of uh, God, that that was the completion. Uh, when it was finished, when it was compiled, when it was written, we no longer need the gifts of the Spirit. We had the full revelation of God's word. Uh, we don't need the gift of knowledge, which are the gifts. We don't need the gift of wisdom or healing or prophecy or tongues. It was only necessary when the church was in its foundational embryonic stage. And it would be plausible except for a couple things. First of all, it doesn't say that. It's an injection. And number two, Paul didn't even realize that he was writing the Bible, right? He simply said that when the perfect comes is when it'll cease. In verse 12, notice, Paul describes life before the perfect comes and life after the perfect comes. He says, going down to 12, which we read, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part and he's saying, basically saying, when the perfect comes, I shall know fully. And then he describes what fully means, even as I have been fully known. So it's imp important because Paul says when the perfect comes, we're going to see face to face. He's not talking about a book. He's talking about a person. You don't look at a book face to face. You look at a person face to face. So this is about the coming of Jesus Christ. This is about when Jesus comes back and, and he sets up his new kingdom, that's when the perfect comes. Jesus is coming to complete things, to make all things new. The next thing it says is this, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So I can honestly say um, that it says, that I know God, do I know God fully as God knows me? Well, the Bible says that God knows the numbers on my head. I can promise you I don't know fully. I have no problem telling people I don't know fully. There's a, so many things that I don't know. And it's interesting because Isaiah prophesies what life will be like on earth when Christ is on the throne. And look what he says. He says, for the earth shall be filled, uh, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's prophesied 700 years before the coming of Christ. When Jesus reigns upon the throne, knowledge will be abundant. It completely harmonizes with the coming of Jesus Christ. That's when the perfect comes. So number three, question. Why is there so much controversy surrounding the gifts of the Spirit. Well, first, number one, I think, believe it's on your notes, because of ignorance, just as there was back in Paul's day. In fact, Paul says that. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations actually say ignorant. Um, the Corinthians, they walked in the gifts, they dealt with a lot of information, misinformation, and it's possible for us to do it too. And I've seen it. Secondly, the gifts have been so badly 
misrepresented in the body of Christ. And we need to take responsibility for that, for maybe not being wise or doing things wrong. Thirdly, people are flat out frightened um, of the supernatural. They're, they feel vulnerable. People don't like not being in control, and you can't always control the supernatural. And lastly, um, it's human nature to reject what we don't understand. So those are some reasons. And in Acts 2, they just mocked and they said, well, they're drunk. Um, so when faced with something that we don't understand, it's easier just to say, well, the gifts went away. It's, uh, it's a lot, but it's easier just to study and read for history's sake and learn how the early disciples walked in power. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. Like, I'm glad that they walked in power. I'm glad that they were, you know, healing the sick and they had the, the sick and they had these gifts of faith and all these things. But, um, you know, it's to have it not for today. I think in some ways we need it more today. The Bible said in the, in the last days that the days would get worse. And as the days and as, as history goes on, we need more of the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of, spirit, of the Spirit working in our life than ever in the history of the world is when we need to walk in that. And, and so many people say, well, it, let's just talk about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, mercy, like self-control, like that's fun. Like let's, let's, let's talk about that. And, uh, but there's so much more. Um, it's more fun, they'll say, than the di distinguishing uh, gifts of the Spirit. And, uh, but we need to definitely know that it's a, it's a real thing. Number four, what is the gift of tongues? First of all, and I think this is really important, and I think it'll clarify things for a lot of you, that it's important to understand that there is a difference between the, diff the gift of of tongues and praying in the Spirit. The gift of tongues is usually accompanied by a gift or a gift of interpretation of tongues. Then there's praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues or one pastor puts it this way, the grace of tongues. Grace empowers us to live a godly life. It's that grace. And so that's, if you understand the difference, then you don't a lot of times get caught up in that. The gift of tongues, getting back to that, is one of nine items that the Apostle Paul lists um, of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 12, 7, and 11, to each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. In other words, it profits. It's for the common good. It's going to bless. It's going to be available to all. Listen, it's not that God doles out a certain gift like, okay, I'm going to give this person this gift. I'm going to give person this gift. No, they are all available to all of us, and we need to desire them all. And how cool is it to maybe walk with a gift of wisdom in your life or a gift of knowledge for someone? I'll tell you what, I really appreciate it when someone's operating in the gift of knowledge are the gift of wisdom, and they come up to me and they say, I have a word for you. Like, that's not weird. Like, that's wonderful to be operating in those gifts, and we should desire, desire them. It says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the, uh, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Wow, how important is that? You know, like you're in a situation and you're like, man, I'm not sensing that. That's not the spirit. Like, you know, that doesn't sound right. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. So there's nine gifts, and they can be divided into three categories, discerning gifts, declarative gifts, and dynamic gifts. Pastor Taylor, I think, talked about that in his message. So there's discerning gifts, declarative gifts, and dynamic. And the gift of tongues is a declarative gift. It's a message from God to others in an unknown language 
and it needs interpretation. Now, the Corinthian uh, church, they had a lot of questions and there was a lot of confusions. That's why Paul is addressing all this in 1 Corinthians 12. There's, there's issues. And there was a group of believers that they were really excited about the gift of tongues and they used it a lot in the service. But they were neglecting other spiritual gifts such as the gifts of prophecy. I think back on my life and being in church in different situations, I feel like a lot of times I actually heard two gifts operating. I believe it would have been a gift of tongues and maybe it really wasn't a gift of interpretation, but it was more prophecy. And so that's really kind of, that's error, but you know, at least the gift of prophecy, which we're going to see, the gift of prophecy, you actually you understand. It it it's it's for a purpose. Um so there's this all this confusion. Um, but they were neglecting these other spiritual gifts, as I said, prophecy. And Paul addresses this in, in, in 12, but then he proceeds, listen, to 13. And 13 is the love chapter, and it's walking in love towards others. That's why Paul then follows up 13 with 1 Corinthians 14. You see the, you see the, the, uh, the trail? You got 12, you got 13, and then 14. So then Paul says this following up. He goes, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Paul's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and the encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Um, you know, there's, we, we go through ebbs and flows sometimes here, here at Generation. There's been times in the past, I actually love when it happens. I might be sitting over there and someone comes up to me, uh, someone who I know, someone who's been in our church for, you know, for a, some time. I know their life. I know who they are. And they'll just say, hey, you know, Pastor Roger, I, I have a word. I love that, you know, it's like, really? And they'll maybe whisper to me what, what they really feel like the Holy Spirit telling them. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's great. So, hey, come on up, at, you know, right after worship here. Let's, let's, let's you know, that's, that's going to be great for the body to hear. That's prophecy. And that's powerful. And it's done in order, right? It's done in order. And so I'm all about order. Um, so here and throughout the rest of 14, Paul is doing somewhat of a balancing act, okay? Um, he's bringing correction in order, but he's not discouraging them from praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters the mysteries in the Spirit. Those are very significant words in the Spirit that Paul uses throughout this chapter of 14. In the Spirit refers to what? It refers to the spiritual realm. So Jesus taught that there's an invisible realm, but more real, um, it's a lot more real than the worldly realm, is this invisible realm. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Don't listen. Don't fix your eyes on your issue, your problem. You fix your eyes not on what is seen. Well, if you woke up every morning and you said, I see this, this is natural, this is in the natural, this is in the natural, this is in the natural, that ain't good, and that ain't good, but what does it say? But on what is unseen, for what is 
seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think a lot of our problems would go away if we put an eternal value on the problem. If you look at the problem and you go spiritually, in the end of eternity with what this has to do, uh, what is the importance of this? And another thing I think of is this. I believe that if you're spiritually minded, then I believe that God takes care of a lot of those things because you're not hung up on them. You're seeing past the physical and you're looking at the spiritual. So we, we, we interact with the natural realm and the, and the spiritual, realm, spiritual realm every day. They basically they coexist side by side. So as we just read here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul he gives us several pieces of information. He says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. And, uh, and again, let me just say this, speaking to God, that's, when we say prayer language, it's simply speaking to God. It's praying. That's all it is. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Praying in the Spirit is, is praying. It's, it's speaking to God. And that's why Paul's telling the church that their public worship services is not the place for exercising the gift. It's not the place. Paul uses another analogy of music instruments. He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some sort of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, um, do not give distinct... uh, it says, do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. So Paul's working very hard to make sure that they understand gift of tongues and the praying in the Spirit, they have important roles in the life of a believer, but it's not to be uninterpreted chaos in public worship. It sums it up in 1 Corinthians 14.33. It says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And 1 Corinthians 14 is a great example uh, for the role and the purpose of a prayer language. It says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what to me praying in the spirit is, is it bypasses our mind. And so many times our mind is unfruitful. Um, I feel like a lot of times when I pray in the spirit, you know, on my own, in my quiet time, it actually helps me be more focused. Because my mind always wants to wander on, I'll be praying about a problem when all of a sudden I'm thinking about the problem. And so if I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm just like, a lot of times the Holy Spirit, I believe, leads me to a train of thought. Or maybe, and you know what else is a comfort? I'm like, I don't trust myself right now. I, I, there's, there's things that I don't even know about. What if there's an, a, spiritual, a spiritual attack in some form or fashion, which is biblical, and I'm not even praying for that. I'm praying about this one seen thing. But there's a lot that is unseen. So there's, benef- there's a benefit to understanding that when you're praying in the Spirit, that it brings you focus. It, it helps you get yourself out of the equation. And how cool is it that the Holy Spirit can pray for you or intercede in something that just might be more important than the greatest thing on your heart. Maybe there's something else. First uh, Corinthians uh, 14, 15, this is logical. Paul says this, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but will also pray with my mind. It's clear. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind 
in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue, right? Here's, here's inter- something interesting too. Worship band, I'll bring you up in a second, but right, right, right now I just want to read this in, in Ephesians. Um, here's something a lot of people don't understand. It's also a vital piece of armor. Uh, most believers, they know Ephesians 6, right? I've spoken on it many times. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil, the, the devil's evil schemes, right? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood on that physical thing, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Hey guys, that's our fight. Therefore, it says, take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you've stood your ground, stand. Then the passage um, goes and it names the, the different armors. Well, m- most people stop there. They stop at verse 17. But there's a semicolon. It continues. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplication." Guys, it's part of your armor. It's part of your armor. And sometimes you need to fan that into flame. You know, that's what the Bible says, is to fan into flame the, the gift that God's given you. Worship team, you can come up right now. I'm about to close. But um, it, 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 you, you need to uh, fan that into flame. If it's something, maybe it's something that you've even, maybe not just even denied, but maybe you've neglected. I remember before I was going onto the, in, onto the mission field, going to Romania, our kids were small, and I was staying at um, someone's house, and this guy call, calls up and says, I would like to come over, I have a word for you before you go out on your missionary journey, which ended up lasting for 10 years. And uh, he came and he goes, I have a simple scripture for you, that's all. Like he drove all the way over here to give me a scripture. And this was the scripture he gave me. Jude one twenty. But you, beloved, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I think there was an understanding that there were things that I would encounter that I wasn't used to. And every day in our life, we encounter things, right? You don't have to go to another country to maybe experience things, but you can experience something new today. But we need that, praying in the Spirit and and building our faith. It builds our faith up. It's a choice. It requires faith to operate in it. Just like giving requires If you have the gift of giving, it requires writing a check. Praying in the Spirit requires that you open your mouth. It's the heart that needs to say, God, listen, I want all of you. I don't want to pick and choose the gifts. I really honestly want to operate in the gift of wisdom. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me have that gift of knowledge. Help me care about people so much that I'm willing to get before you and praying in the Spirit to have the gift of knowledge and wisdom and to be able to give and to be kingdom-minded. Holy Spirit, help me. Like, I want all of you. I don't want part of you. Just give me all of you. You know, I was talking to, um, or I was having a conversation earlier this week with um, Pastor Brian, and he was talking to a Bible college professor that we had in Bible college. Actually, his daughter, Denise, comes to our church, her husband. And um, he said that he prayed for he prayed for the, that gift, and he didn't get it until 17 years later. And uh, 
I talked to another pastor that prayed, and he goes, you know, I'm a very well-known pastor. And he's just like, I've prayed, and I've prayed for years, but I don't know that I actually ever really have. He's being transparent. But I think here's the point. The point is, is God, I want all of you. I want to be empowered by you. I want the Holy Spirit to operate in my life. And I don't, I don't want to look at, at, at tongues as something as, well, you're, you're weird. I just, we, we just went over the points. It's biblical. It, it, we, we just went over the point that it doesn't end. It is going to end one day, but now is not the day. Now is the day we do need to be clothed with power. That's what it did, right? In Acts, it clothed them. I love that analogy. It, what, is the, what does the armor do? It clothes you, right? So it's very important. And the, the last question that I had to answer was, how does someone receive the gift? And it's very simple. You ask. It's, it's so simple. Luke 13, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, sorry guys, you're evil, um, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's, it's simple. And you always have to remember that the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the gifts, he's never go- going to do, he's never going to give you something that you don't want. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way. He doesn't force things on you. Let the Holy Spirit intercede through you using your voice. It's powerful. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that when you departed and you went up to heaven being taken away, you knew we would need the Holy Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. We don't want to pick and choose, Father, but we ask for all of you. Help us to be clothed with power and um, be, like, be like babies, be like children, Lord, before you accepting all that you have for us. We love you, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.